You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Welcome to MLB.com Extras Padres Edition. MLB.com's Mark Feinstein recently sat down with Padres Executive Vice President and General Manager A.J. Preller to discuss his approach during his first two years on the job, what he learned from his good friend John Daniels, and what it means for the Padres to now be the only pro sports show in town. Here's Mark. A.J., how did you land your first job in baseball? Uh, I mean, actually, I started with an internship with the Philadelphia Phillies while I was still at college. And, you know, I did uh, did the internship and, and then went back to school for my senior year at Cornell, and that led to a uh, to an opportunity with the Arizona Fall League, working in baseball operations with Frank Robinson and Steve Cobb, and uh, that was probably my first taste of, of baseball operations. You went on to work in the commissioner's office after that uh, for several years. Some people I've spoken to who, have, who also worked in the commissioner's office said there was no better training ground for learning the game and how the business works. Uh, did you think that there was a chance you'd have a career working at MLB for a career, or did you always want to get involved on the club side? I, mean, I think, honestly, at that point in time, I think it was more just about any experience in baseball. It was, you know, it was basically a, you know, a dream experience and a dream job. And I think, you know, for myself, I was from New York, and I think an opportunity to go back to New York, live there, uh, work in, you know, like, you know, work for Frank Robinson, a baseball Hall of Famer. Um, you know, he was a phenomenal boss. He, you know, became a great friend, a definitely, you know, a, a, a big-time teacher for me. Um, learned a ton from him. And then, you know, at the time, too, Sandy Alderson was there, Paul Beeston was there, Rob Manfred was there, Frank Coonley was there, and the list goes on and on. Um, you know, Brian Small, different guys that, I, that, you know, you had an opportunity to start to realize, you know, all the different areas of baseball operations that, you know, the game behind the game and some some, some things there and learned from some really great people. So it was a, it was a pretty tremendous, you know, improving ground, training ground, uh, and definitely learning experience. And really at that time, I was I was really just focused and just enjoying just every day going to work there. And, and you know, I, you know, and, uh, you know, whether it led to opportunities or not, I was really appreciative of the opportunity to be there. You and John Daniels were fraternity brothers and roommates at Cornell. Did you guys ever imagine back then you'd both be general managers in the majors competing against each other? <laughs> no, I don't I don't think, you know, honestly, I, I think, you know, the, uh, you know, everything you could aspire to be a general manager, you know, there's only 30 of those jobs in the game. So I think it was really, you know, from my standpoint, I, I was clear from the beginning. I wanted to, you know, see if, you know, see if you could stay involved in the game and, and work in baseball. That was going to be the path that I was going to try to do, you know, while I was at college or, um, you know, you know, leaving college. For J.D., he went out into the business world first. And, you know, when I was in doing my experience at the Fall League and then I made the baseball, uh, I don't think he was all that happy working in the business world. And, you know, we were constantly obviously staying in touch and I think spending more time talking about baseball anything else going on and just encouraging John that you know at that point in time there's opportunity and you know ultimately you know if you have a you have a dream and you have a goal you know you know go for it and see what happens that led to a you know a situation for him an opportunity with the Colorado Rockies and obviously he took that and ran with it and led to a lot of success for himself right now you look around the league and front offices are loaded with Ivy Leaguers uh, various positions aside from the obvious education that you all received do you think there's a reason that front offices have skewed that way in recent years yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, I, I really do honestly think, I think uh, you know, good people come from all different backgrounds. So I think, you know, from, from my standpoint, when we're looking to hire and we're looking to, you know, get people that are, you know, that, uh, that, that potentially, you know, we think are going to be impactful. 
employees for the Padres. Um, you know, there's all different all different areas of you know all different ways you know things you look at in terms of background and maybe you know maybe education and maybe you know in terms of you know the different experiences that people have from whatever school they went to. But honestly, it's it's playing background. It's just general feel. It's business background. It's the you know, ability to read people. There's a lot that go into it. You know, um, you know. I think obviously right now you look out and there's there's people that have come from really successful schools, but you know ultimately I think there's a lot of good baseball people that have come from all different backgrounds and you know I, I think uh, you know from our standpoint we try to be diverse in what we're trying to do you know in terms of bringing people with different experiences here to the Padres. You uh, you mentioned you're from New York, Long Island, I believe. Uh, you've been described as having a quote East Coast intensity. How, how have you adapted to life in laid back San Diego? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. I, mean, I think like ultimately San Diego is a beautiful city, and it's, uh, I think it's it's not too hard for anybody to get used to living in San Diego. It's uh, you know, honestly, I think it's it's as as nice as any city in the country. And um, you know, it's passionate baseball fans. Honestly, just in Southern California, I think it's SoCal. You know, just with with youth baseball, amateur baseball, and then obviously you know all the professional teams that are there. The, you know, the big league baseball that's there. You know, I think it's, it's fans that are thirsty for you know to see good baseball and they love the game. So that part's been an easy transition when you have a lot of people there that love the game of baseball and then. Obviously, you know the the, the, you know, the climate and the sunny days, and um, you know the beautiful, you know the beautiful beaches, all that stuff. It's made pretty easy to transition to San Diego. Say, how, how do you deal with the weather? I mean, it must dip into the low 60s sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it was a rough transition. 75 and sunny every day. You so. miss you miss seasons. Uh, nope. Nope. <laughs> not at all. No. You're, no, you're, you're good not seeing snow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I did that imagine. for enough years. Exactly. Uh, at this point, every team in baseball has an analytics department. It's no longer something that only a few teams are taking advantage of. Um, one GM told me that he's seen scouts beginning to even take to analytics because they're backing up things that they were seeing on the field. Do you think it was important for the whole idea that some teams are scouting teams, some teams are analytic teams, to go away now that all 30 teams are, are utilizing every piece of information at their advantage yeah I, I mean I think a lot of times you know labels too you know you don't really know I think you know from my standpoint I've always made a point unless you work with somebody you work for somebody or you're actually in, you know intricately involved in what goes on um, it's really hard to say I think you know, a lot of times people it's easy it's an easy narrative for somebody to say that hey this is a you know quote unquote scouting organization or an analytics organization I think you know, there's a lot that go into a lot you know, into any of these decisions on the baseball side and I think you know we try to be well-rounded we try to you know use all the information that we have we definitely are you know, believe in people and want people that can make good calls and good decisions for us. And ultimately, I think that's what leads to the best possible decisions. But yeah, ultimately, any any label anywhere, you know, I, I don't put a lot of stock in usually. It seemed at the beginning of the analytics revolution, it was small market teams really trying to utilize them to, to catch up and find some advantages to, to, to catch the teams that had a lot more financial resources. Uh, now that everybody's using them, do you think teams are out there looking for the next big thing? The next big wave of competitive advantage that they can, they can try to, to use. Yeah, I, I think I think it's you know I think definitely I think every you know each club it's 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 competition. It's Major League Baseball and there's 30s teams and, and usually a team will, you know will find some some advantage whether it's on the on, on the analytics side or you know or elsewhere and you know that that window closes pretty quickly. So you want to try to take advantage of it if you think you have found something or something that's going to leave, you know give you a competitive advantage because pretty quickly it's a copycat industry and other teams are going to you know are, are going to try to do the same. So. Um, um, you know, I think you know. I think again, it's 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 you know, it's big you know, big business and sports. So that that always leads to a competitive environment where people are always trying to find advantages that can lead your organization to be successful. Do you think Statcast is changing the way fans are looking at the game? I, I do. I mean, I think you, you see it every night. You know, it's 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 putting you know, it's put in front of you every single night in terms of you know whether you're watching you know MLB highlight show or you know quick pitch or you know your your local Fox broadcast. I think it's definitely you know it's definitely making people more aware. 
um, you know, of, you know of, of a lot of components, a lot of measurables, you know, in the game, and I think gives fans a different different way to look at the game, and definitely, you know, definitely leads to more awareness for fans as they go into, uh, you know, tracking their favorite players and seeing who they think can perform or not perform or anything like that. Now that the Chargers have moved up the road to Los Angeles, uh, you guys are really the only show in town in terms of big league sports. It's been more than a decade since the Padres were in the postseason. How important is it to get this team back to that level? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge responsibility that I think we all feel in the organization. I think, honestly, like, you know, regardless of the Padres being, of the, of the Chargers, you know, being in San Diego or not, um, you know, I think, you know, it's, uh, you know it's, it's a great fan base. And I think, you know, you, you do this job. You know, to give your fans an opportunity to see a team that year in year out can contend and compete and, and go to play October baseball. Because I mean, I think you know, you see, you see every single year. That's the best feeling. I know I had a chance to do it when we were in Texas and we were able, you know, to go to the playoffs, you know, back-to-back World Series in the playoffs, you know, a number of years in a row. And I think, you know, when you get there and you see it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's what it's all about. So I think from our standpoint, you know, definitely with the Chargers leaving, if you feel that sense of responsibility, we felt it anyway, honestly. And I think, uh, you know, to, to, to put together a product that, you know, that your fans are proud of, that they that they're engaged, you know, with with watching the players that are on the field, they're excited to go see. That's our goal every single day in baseball operations. John Daniels once referred to you as quote a tremendous talent evaluator. It's not something you can learn in school. How did you develop your your ability to evaluate baseball talent? Yeah, I think it, it just in general, like you know, in, in general, like any any evaluator, I think it really comes down to two things. It comes down, to, you know, I think there's certain a certain level of feel that you have to have, feel for people, feel for ability, um, you know, and then it comes down to work ethic too. I mean, I think if you if you you know you have guys that are you know that are that that are you know um, that you know that merge those two areas together in terms of you know just feel for looking at people and reading people and players, and then you know the thirst to 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 want to go see more and do more. Uh, um, you know, usually when you do that, it leads you to good things. It's definitely not a science, you know. But I think the more the more that you have in terms of you know the ability to read and the ability to work, you know, usually that'll lead to good results. If you're enjoying this Mark Feinstein interview, make sure you check out all the great conversations featured in the MLB.com Newsmakers podcast. You'll hear Mark and other MLB.com reporters chat with baseball's brightest stars of today and the past, as well as the game's best broadcasters and writers. You can download MLB.com Newsmakers today on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching Newsmakers. Now, back to Mark Feinsand. You used to scout extensively in Latin America. We've seen a lot of talent come from there, a lot of talent come from Japan. Do you think there are still areas in the world where there's a lot of untapped baseball talent that the majors can still go go find? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's definitely... Um... You know, I, I think it's important for MLB. I think it's, you know, it's definitely going to be one of the initiatives. I think for me, the baseball, they continue to want to grow the game throughout the world. And I think there are, you know, you're always looking for other areas that you can tap into, et cetera. I, I think for the most part, you know, the, uh, you know, the markets that, that, you know, that are, that are the strongest, Venezuela, you know, Dominican, obviously, Latin, you know, Latin America, and then in the pack rim with Japan, Korea, and Taiwan. I think those are going to be the traditional, you know, those are still going to be the areas that, that, uh, that you know, most of the players are going to come out of. And that's where the most interest is in the game of baseball. I think, you know, for, for, for all clubs, though, and for MLB, definitely the central office, I'm sure they, they're always going to look to continue to grow the game, you know, and see if there's other spots where they can continue to, you know, make an impact on an inroad. I think the World Baseball Classic this past this past year was a great example. I mean, when you see a team from the Netherlands that is as competitive as anybody, honestly, you know, with players from, you know, obviously, you know, from Curacao and Aruba making up a large portion of that, that's great for the game, you know. Um, you know, and then and I, I think, you know, the more that you continue to grow the game and get the, and get the game of baseball out, it would be good you know, for, for, for the sport in general.
you worked with John for a long time in Texas. What did you take away most from your, your time with him? Yeah, JD, I mean, JD's a great decision maker. You know, I think he, you know, I think ultimately he's really able to process a lot of information, which you have to do in this job. There's a lot of people that are giving you information. There's a lot that's out there from, you know, that, that you know, when, when you go into making a trade or a free agent signing. And I think he, he did a really good job of, you know, having a feel for, you know, who to listen to, when to listen to, had a feel for, you know, moment in time, what was the right direction for the organization in a lot of, in a lot of cases cases whether a player's value was you know stock up or stock down um, and he just he's just always had his own really good natural knack and feel for that and I think uh, you know more often than not he's he's usually in the right and uh, you know I think he's done a great job leading that organization two weeks after you were hired as the Padres GM you traded longtime Padre Chase Headley to the Yankees for two players including a Hervis Solarte what did you like most about Solarte, and did you think that he would become the player that he's become in these yeah. past couple of years? That, that was actually it was, it was a deal that was made before I. Oh, before, was it? Yeah. Um, but, but, me then. but Solarte, you know, Solarte. No, let's just talk about Solarte. And yeah, how Solarte. It, it was a really good deal for you know for for the Padres and the group that was in there at the time. I mean, I think uh, you know because you know I think Solarte was a guy that he was a you know original Minnesota twin. Actually, when I, when I was in Texas, uh, you know, the Rangers had signed him as a six-year free agent, so I'd seen him for a few years over there. He's always a guy that had been able to hit. Um, you know, he was always a guy that was, you know, young at the time for a six-year free agent. He wasn't a guy that had, you know, really had gotten, you know, extensive time and opportunity in the big league. So he was a guy, I think, that was thirsting for an opportunity. But switch hitter, plate discipline, you know, has the ability to hit the ball in the gap, has the ability, to, you know, to leave the yard. Always a question defensively, whether he's a second baseman, third baseman, what exactly was his, was his right position. He's definitely found a home here in San Diego after going to the Yankees and getting experience there. Um, you know, he's a guy that brings energy every single day. It's infectious for our ball club. Um, you know, and I think he's guy that you know it's, it's hard to find switch hitters control the strike zone have power um, you know and bring energy every single day and I think he's settled in on the, you know from a defensive standpoint as well I think that's been one of the areas of improvement for him from the time that I had seen him in Texas to the time you know to the, you know, the time they see here in San Diego he's turned himself into you know one of the better infielders you know in the, in the game of baseball right now in terms of you know overall package your first winter as the Padres GM you made quite a splash traded away 15 players received 11 others uh, during a 36 hour stretch in that December among the players you received, Matt Kemp, Will Myers, Justin Upton, you signed James Shields before spring training, traded for Craig Kimbrell. Was there a sense that you were going to be able to contend right away in 2015? Yeah, I mean, I think what we were trying to do in 15, we had we had a group of pitchers, you know, and I think we felt like we had a moment in time with the pitching staff, you know, for, for a one or two year period that we wanted to take advantage of the group that was there. And quite frankly, when we looked at it, and we, we, we looked at different paths and different avenues of what to do. You know, we felt like from a value standpoint, potentially moving those pitchers, we weren't going to, you know, we weren't going to get what, you know, what, what we felt like we needed in, toward, in terms of moving them. So we went the other direction and talked about, you know, what if we added around those pitchers and, you know, and move some players, you know, some, some, some prospects, some guys are going to end up, I'm sure, coming back to be good players. Some guys end up being more fringy guys, but I think we felt it was twofold. One, like you know, a chance to go look out and contend over the course of more of like a midterm type, you know, you know, type look and a one year, two year period. And we knew, I think, quite frankly, even if we had you know, talked about winning, potentially we could turn those players back around and have value. And I think overall, you know. And when I took the job, it really goes down to can you can you have you know enough depth, enough quality players, enough you know length in your system to to look out and have a four, five, six, seven, eight year run. We talk about waves of players that are coming. There's a lot of different ways to get there. You know, and now as as you go into year three, you know, we feel like we have one of the stronger farm systems in the game of baseball. We feel like we're set up to have success down the road. Probably didn't do it in a traditional sense of you know I think what, what you know what, what what some clubs have done the last few years in terms of how to get there, um, but part of that was you know take a shot with some of those players in the 15 season, see if we can win, excite you know excite the fan base a little bit, 
Um, you know, and if it didn't work out, you could always go down a different path. And I think, you know, that's what we saw with some of the other deals we since made after that with the Shields trade, the Kimball trade, etc. Um, you know, ultimately getting financial flexibility with the camp and opt-in deals. Um, you know, and, and now looking forward and, and kind of saying, okay, now as we go into year three, it's still going to be what we do and how we build this thing going forward. Maybe not the most traditional path to get there, but, um, you know, I, I think that all went into, you know, what we were thinking going into that, you know, 15 year. Was there a sense of disappointment that team didn't click the way you were hoping it would? There's always, always, you know, always disappointment. I think in terms of, you know, if, when, when you're not, you know, one of the clubs playing in October baseball, you know, you always look at it and say, okay, what could we have done better? How can we do better? You know, I think there was a lot of excitement, obviously, going into that year, and it would have been, you know, I, I think it would have obviously the, the, the goal and the plan was to have that team go out and all those pieces, you know, fit together. Even though we knew going into it, you know, I talked as a group, talked with Bud Black, a lot of these pieces are not going to fit, you know, perfectly. Um, but I think a lot of the sentiment here was, let's take a shot with it and let's see, you know, let's see how it plays out. And, you know, ultimately, you know, you know, let's see if we get the most out of some pieces that are talented. It may not fit exactly, you know, the way the way you would draw it up. But, um, you know, but as, as the year went on, I think it was clear that, you know, over the course of the last two years that that, that direction of that team was not going to get us to playing consistently into October. It was not probably a long-term path to success. Um, you know, and you, you make adjustments as you go. Kemp's in Atlanta, Upton's in Detroit, Shields in Chicago, Kimbrell's in Boston. Another player you got then was Will Myers, uh, former rookie of the year. He's still here. He became an all-star for the first time last season in your park, and at 25, he's locked him up to an $83 million extension. How important was it to lock him up? I think, uh, you know, I think we're like, you know, we're definitely looking to add. You know, I, I think from from a few from a few things. I think for us, it was. You know, see Will as, as you know as we as we try to build the system. We look to bring young players in here to San Diego. We felt like he was a really good, whatever you want to call it, a bridge player, a transition player. You know, because he's young, he's athletic, he's a two-way player, he's a very talented guy, both on the offensive and defensive end. But I think also he's a guy that embraced what we talked about in terms of you know a vision of the next few years and bringing in more talented young players. He was a guy that you know he's looking to have other talented young players around him and, and try to help. You know, help the Padres get to a situation where, overall, from a culture standpoint, a team standpoint, you know, he's he's helping create the right atmosphere for those guys to come in and break in. So I think that was important. I think it's important to have quality players and to show, you know, the, you know, show both, you know, your organization, you know, your employees, your fans, you know, you know, the players that are on the field that, you know, we're not looking to constantly look for five years down the road. You know, if you're a quality player and you're a guy that fits in with what we're doing from a from a talent standpoint, a makeup standpoint, an athleticism standpoint, we're going to look to try to keep you here. And I think it's a statement from 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 you know from ownership as well you know it's a it's a building block for us going forward so you know, for a lot of those reasons there was motivation on our part to get the deal done from Will's standpoint I think you know he could have you know he could have easily looked at and said look I'm, I'm going to play out the next few years and I want to go on the free agent market and have all 30 teams bid for you know for my services uh, but I think he, he felt the same you know the, you know this, this the same feeling that we felt in terms of what we're trying to build he felt the same way and I think it led to a match and you know hopefully a good sign for us. You brought in three veteran starters this winter uh all of whom have experience and, and success in other places, and Cahill, Chassin, and Weaver. Why did you feel they were good fits for your rotation, and, and how do you assess sort of the state of your rotation overall right now? Yeah, I, I think I think understanding that you know with some of the trades, and obviously you know some of the some of the you know the uh, we, we knew that that was an area for us from a, from a depth standpoint. There's a shortcoming in terms of like you know upper you know you know upper level you know major league potential starting pitchers. So we knew that you know at the very least we have to look at some stop gaps and some guys that can fill a bridge for us. I think you know ultimately 
Like we tried to, you know, each guy had a little different, you know, a little different reason why we brought him in. You know, obviously from Chassin's standpoint, Julius Chassin, you know, at 28 years old, he's got, been, you know, was at one point in time, a, you know, a top level prospect, has had success in the big leagues. I think we saw some things from our scouting standpoint, you know, and analytics standpoint at the end of the year in Anaheim that we felt would potentially translate in the National League to what we're trying to do. You know, Weaver's situation, obviously, he's been one of the best winners in the game over the course of, you know, over the course of, you know, his career in the last 10 years. You know, I think everybody's made it, you know, keeps making a point about the velocity being down and where he's at in terms of his stuff. But, you know, he won 12 games last year in Anaheim. He threw 180 innings. He's as, you know, probably as, uh, as tough a competitor as, there, as there's been in the league over the last 10 years. I think he's viewed as, you know, a chance to have a fresh start. And I think for us, he's always been an innings eater. And I think from an example standpoint for our other pitchers on our staff and also from an ability standpoint, you know, he's a guy that, you know, for, you know, we, we felt like we wanted to bring in and, and you know, have him be a part of what we're doing. You know, Clay, you know, with Clayton, Clayton Richard again, another guy that, you know, has had success at a different point in time over the last four or five years. Had to reinvent himself a little bit with some injuries, um, but we brought him in at the end of last year, and you know, it was a lot of sink, it was a lot of ground balls. He's a tremendous for us from a makeup standpoint, an example standpoint. Um, you can't ask for anything more. He's a leader, um, and I think we felt like as we transitioned some other guys into the clubhouse and what we're trying to do, he's going to set an example and a tone for our group. Um, that's a winning tone, and I think that's something that's really important as we move forward. Ben Wilmar goes one of the four players you got back for, for Kimbrell. He's ranked as a top 25 prospect in the game. What kind of player do you think he can be? Yeah, I, I think I think for you know what our scouts are looking at is a you know a catalyst type guy, a guy that's you know a potential you know top of the you know top of the uh, lineup type, uh, you know a guy that's that's you know that's able to you know be in the middle of rallies, start rallies. He's a, again another guy, good defender, speed piece, hit the ball in the gaps. Probably gonna be more doubles and triples. Um, you know, it's a contact bat. He doesn't punch a lot. Um, you know, he's always been a guy age for level. He's been a young player to high level and had success last year in AAA. Uh, you know, he's a big reason why that team won the PCL championship. Um, you know, and I think from our standpoint, you know, again, as a you know, we, we got a taste of it the last couple of weeks of you know, hopefully what, what, what we're going to see here in the next few years. Um, but you know, for us as a rookie, we know there's going to be some some growing pains, and uh, but he brings a lot from a skill set standpoint in terms of speed. You know, bat, defense, really hit the ball in the gap, steal a base. I think he beats you a lot of different ways. Hunter Renfro showed a lot of power this spring. How excited are you to watch him? continue to progress yeah I think Hunter again it's another he's he's been a big talent dating back to the Mississippi State days and I think even there you know it took him a few years at Mississippi State and you know for him to get used probably to SEC and the, and the level and then you know you look up in the summer of his sophomore year into his junior year where he ended up I believe being the SEC player of the year it felt like it if he wasn't but uh, you know and, and the same thing in pro ball he's had he's had some level of success but each year when, they, when he's been challenged to go to a you know a different area whether it was AAA a few years ago or it was the fall league and then last year in the big leagues he has a you know, he has big physical ability, so he's been able to, you know, to rise up and play well at the levels that we've asked him to go to. Last year, you know, PCL MVP, you know, 30 bombs, 100 RBIs, again in the middle of that lineup for, you know, for a team that uh, had a lot of prospects on and play good baseball. You know, I think from our standpoint, if we look up in the next two or three years, we're looking at guys' chance to be a prototype right fielder. You know, he's he's athletic, um, but it's a big arm, it's an accurate arm. He's got big power. Um, you know, trying to get him to continue to be in the strike zone and stay in the strike zone and make sure that pitchers have to come to him. Um, but again, it's a young power bat that fits in a corner. It's a profile type right fielder. And you know, excited to go out and give him opportunity this year. How do you feel about the overall state of the farm system? And is there one guy who people may not have heard about, maybe not have gotten as much press as some of these others who people should keep an eye on? Yeah, I, I think, you know, again, like I think, um, you know, from our standpoint, you you know, I, I think we've, our scouts have done a really good job of, you know, for whether it's through a lot of different vehicles, whether it's through trades, whether it's through the international, you know, signings, uh, you know, the amateur draft. I think 
of giving our player development staff, you know, a lot of talented players. I think the one thing we feel strong about is we have, we have quality depth and we have numbers, you know. So, you know, again, like, it, I don't like to get into, hey, there's, you know, anointing one guy and saying sure. it's going to be this one guy. I think from, from our standpoint, you know, just knowing from experience, you know, and, you know, dating back to the Texas days, you know, at that point in time, we signed a lot of players there that we felt like were interesting, had tools, had skill sets that we thought would translate. And you didn't really know whether it was going to be Odubel Herrera, Rugnet Odor, or Jerickson Profar, Martin Perez, or which guy was going to break through and, you know, become, you know, exactly what level of Bigley or Nomar Mazar you kind of had a sense, you know, but it was like there were enough quality players there at the time that we felt like, all right, we're going to have a lot of options and gave your general manager a lot of options. I think that's what our scouting department has done for, you know, for, for us here in the last year or so is the buildup. We look at it and you go on the backfields and you see those guys play and we've got, you know, we've got a lot of shortstop depth. We've got a lot of, you know, athletic outfielders. We've got some big bats. We've got a lot of power arms. Uh, we're starting to get some left-handed pitching. And I think when you look around, you know, you give your general manager and organization options, you know, and, and uh, I think that's always that's always a good feeling when you're sitting in this chair, for sure. Last question. The Dodgers have won your division four straight years. The Giants have won three World Series. Pretty tough division. How do you assess the, the, the future, the current and future of the National League West? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it's it's a fun challenge, honestly, because I think it's, uh, you know, it's a division you know is going to continue to be strong. The Dodgers have a, you know, they obviously have a great big league team. Um, you know, obviously, you know, they have a tremendous organization and they're strong top to bottom. They still have, you know, they have young players in the system that are, you know, they're going to come up and impact as well. The Giants, you know, every single year when you're dealing with Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner and, you know, management staff that is, you know, that, that uh, you know, that, that, that's been there for a long time and obviously, you know, knows the game of baseball really well. D-backs have a really talented group last year, a down year for them with some injuries some different things with A.J. Pollock, but they have a lot of position player depth and they have some pitchers that are, you know, in the rotation that are going to be, you know, that, that have a chance to, you know, have some bounce back seasons, et cetera, and the Rockies continue to build. So, you know, we know that it's, it's going to be a challenge for us the next few years. I think, honestly, because I think when you come out of the NL West, you know, you're battle tested, you're prepared. And I think, you know, from our standpoint, it sets the bar high for us as an organization, knowing what we have to get to. You're not going to be able to win 82 games, 84 games and kind of squeak in. You're not going to be able to beat up on, you know, weak competition and, you know, teams that are, you know, that, that, that you know are in a rebuild for a few year period. So it's going to be a challenge for us in the next few years. And I think something that our organization is excited to, uh, to go up against. Okay, Jay, appreciate the time. Good luck this evening.